The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello, welcome to a special report from What Catholics Believe. I'm Father William Jenkins, and the priest in charge at Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio, and a priest member of the Society of St. Pius V. As many of you know, the uh, states of New York and, New and Virginia have just distinguished themselves by uh, endorsing laws that would make abortion uh, legal right, right up to the moment of birth. Uh, New York legislature passed the law. The, uh, the bill in Virginia was defeated in committee and tabled. Nonetheless, the Democrats were entirely supportive of the bill in Virginia, including the governor, Northam. Uh, now we have, uh, in addition to half a dozen states that already have approved of abortion legality until birth, we have another number of other states also. New Mexico and uh, Rhode Island are voting on the similar proposals. And uh, the Rhode Island uh, vote is uh, drawing some attention because the governor of Rhode Island is a Novus Ordo Catholic, so-called, as is Andrew Cuomo of New York. Nonetheless, they're celebrating the idea of being able to put children to death even up to the time of their birth. In fact, the New York State Legislature broke into applause. The Democrats broke into applause, uh, roundly cheering what they had just done in legalizing the murder of children up until the moment of, moment of birth. They want the moment of birth to be recognized as a perfectly legal also moment of death enforced death, inflicted death, in the most cruel way by abortion. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the mechanics of the process of these votes. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about so much the politics of it as I am the morality of it. I'll talk about the politics of it only insofar as it concerns the morality of these very evil decisions that are being made. Uh, I would like to... Uh, point out, however, something that I would rather not have to point out, and that is the representative in Virginia who proposed the bill for the uh, uh, late-term abortions of children, even up to the moment of birth, is a woman named Kathy Tran. And the very same day that she submitted her bill uh, for late-term abortion right through the entire period of pregnancy to the, to the moment of birth, she also submitted another bill simultaneously, and that was to save canker worms, to save the canker worms. So she was willing to introduce legislation to make it legal to put children to death up until the moment of their birth. But she's concerned about saving canker worms. And this, this really illustrates a point made uh, by, uh, by Father Tanqueray, the great moral theologian, and ascetical and mystical theologian, actually. Uh, Monsignor Tanqueray wrote that it is a, a sure sign of rising paganism in a society 
when it begins to value animal life more than human life. And uh, perhaps we can see no better example of that in what this, this woman, Kathy Tran, did with the legislature in Virginia, proposing to, to protect canker worms at the same time she's proposing to legalize the murder of children in the womb, even up to the moment of birth. And so this is what we're dealing with, and uh, she makes no apologies for it. Uh, one of her fellow legislators who co-sponsored the bill with her actually came out and apologized, saying she hadn't read the bill. But now that she realized what the bill is all about, she withdraws her recommendation. At least the woman was honest, at least we trust she's honest in saying she hadn't read the bill and didn't know what it was about. And uh, perhaps she's telling the truth, although it is possible that she knew very well what was in the bill and when she saw the firestorm of reaction against it, that she hastily retreated. It's hard to tell with Democrats. <coughs> it's hard to tell with any politician, but especially with Democrats, because uh, they seem to have no sense of truth or reality, <coughs> certainly not morality. Now, I, I want to talk about this question uh, from, as I say, a moral point of view. And so, um, with regard to the Virginia abortion bill, it was tabled by a vote of five to three, five Republican votes against three Democratic votes. Um, the, the governor himself, Governor Ralph Northam, uh, and his mouthpiece, another woman uh, who is speaking for him, uh, actually have been interviewed on the subject of this bill. And uh, they both have come out very much in favor of it. In fact, Governor Northam, a Democrat, needless to say, uh, talks about uh, justifying, he tries to soften the blow of the fact that they are actually endorsing the murder of children in the womb, even up to the moment that they are in the process of being born. Uh, he says that, well, we're talking about fetuses that might not be viable, he says. These are the ones who are subject to being put to death. He says, well, they might be deformed. And he, you can tell him he's, he's worming around, talk about the canker worms here, he's worming around the issue because he realizes that it is a very volatile issue. And um, But he's trying to somehow justify it in his own mind. Um, this, uh, this is something that he, he did not retreat from. This is something that he, that he spoke boldly in favor of, even after the interview came out and was met with, as I say, a firestorm of resistance and outrage by decent people, by normal, sensible uh, people who are homo sapiens. He, uh, he still justified it, and he even blamed Republicans for uh, being bad and being uncivil and so on in objecting to what he had said. It is inconceivable that this man could actually tend to try to moralize, to show Republicans why they're wrong in objecting to what he's proposing to do. Um, there was also subsequently an interview on Fox News uh, featuring a person from Planned Parenthood and again, one gets the runaround. One gets one gets the uh, the the runaround, the prepackaged runaround, so that one comes out thinking, well, what did they say? They didn't really actually say anything about this, except to try 
to blow smoke. They try to confuse the issue. Uh, so people walk away thinking, well, maybe there is some justification for this, but um, she seemed like a nice person and she seemed like a sensible person. But we're talking about the euthanasia of babies here. We're talking about infanticide. And more and more people are using that word infanticide. They're actually killing infants, uh, even up to the point of birth. Now, um, before going on, I would like to, uh, to refer to an article that came out back in the year 2013. And the, the article was authored by this woman, by Mary Elizabeth Williams a writer for, she's on the staff of Salon Magazine, Salon.com, I think it is. It is actually www.maryelizabethwilliams.net is her own personal site. And the Salon Magazine site uh, for this particular article is www.salon.com forward slash 2013 forward slash 01 forward slash 23 forward slash so what if abortion ends life? And the reason why I cite the article of this woman is because she is horrifically honest. She's actually daring to say what all the Democrats know, but they do not have the courage to say because they realize that we find it morally offensive reprehensible, they realize that the decent people with a moral foundation are going to find what they're saying horrific, monstrous. But she is willing to say it. And uh, when you see her picture, you look, you think, this is a normal human being. Uh, you not have any problem in dealing with her, speaking with her. Uh, you would think, well, she must, she looks like one of my te third grade teachers. Uh, for myself, for my children. But when you read the thoughts that are in this woman's mind, you realize there's something very, very seriously amiss. Sad to say, Mary Elizabeth Williams is battling cancer, and I can only pray that she has a change of heart before uh, the cancer take its, takes its toll, or in any case, even if it doesn't. Uh, we all have to go and meet our Lord and face Him, and so I pray that she will revise her thinking and uh, be of a better better mind when she, when she has to face our Lord. <clears throat> this is um, substantially what she wrote here. In fact, I'm tempted to read the entire article because it's not long, but uh, I'd have to I'd have to omit the expletives. It's amazing how people who support these evil things have to use filthy, crude, coarse, vulgar language to express their ideas. Even those who look as sensible and decent as, as anything, they, as soon as they open their mouths, what comes out is actual sewage. And so I would have to edit out the foul language that she uses in this. Again, it's extremely sad to see a woman, um, any woman, speak like this and express these ideas. But I'll tell you, 
what it is because I think this is the whole mentality that we're dealing with. It's exactly what we're dealing with, whether they will admit it, as she does, or not, as most of the politicians will not. Her article of January, uh, rather I should say, her article of January 23rd, January 23rd in the year 2013, Salon Magazine. Notice that it's the day after the anniversary of the Road versus Wade decision. That article is entitled, So What If Abortion Ends Life? I believe that life starts at conception, and it's never stopped me from being pro-choice. Of all the diabolically clever moves the anti-choice lobby has ever pulled, surely one of the greatest has been its consistent co-opting of the word life. Life. Who wants to argue with that? Who wants to be on the side of not life? That's why the language of those who support abortion has for so long been carefully couched in other terms. While opponents of abortion eagerly describe themselves as pro-life, the rest of us have had to scramble around with not nearly as big-ticket words like choice and reproductive freedom. The life conversation is often too thorny to even broach. Yet I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. As Roe versus Wade enters its fifth decade, we find ourselves at one of the most schizo moments in our national relationship with reproductive choice. In the past year, we've endured the highest number of abortion restrictions ever. Yet, support for abortion rights is at an all-time high, with seven in ten Americans in favor of letting Roe v. Wade stand, allowing for reproductive choice in all or most cases. That's a stunning 10% increase from just a decade ago. And in the midst of this unique moment, Planned Parenthood has taken the bold step of reframing the vernacular, moving away from the easy and easily divisive words life and choice. Instead, as a new promotional film acknowledges, it's not a black and white issue. It's a move whose time is long overdue. It's important because when we don't look at the complexities of reproduction, we give far too much semantic power to those who'd try to control it, and we play into the sneaky, dirty tricks of the anti-choice lobby. When we, on the pro-choice side, squirm so uncomfortably at the ways in which they've repeatedly appropriated the concept of life. And she continues, Here is the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet, a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss, her life, and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. 
When we on the pro-choice side get cagey around the life question, it makes us illogically contradictory. I have friends who have referred to their abortions in terms of, quote, scraping out a bunch of cells, end quote, and then a few years later were exultant over the pregnancies that they unhesitatingly described in terms of, quote, the baby and, quote, this kid. I know women who have been relieved at their abortions and grieved over their miscarriages. Why can't we agree that how they felt about their pregnancies was vastly different, but that it's pretty silly to pretend that what was growing inside of them wasn't the same? And this Mary Elizabeth Williams continues, fetuses aren't selective like that. They don't qualify as human life only if they're intended to be born. When we try to act like a pregnancy doesn't involve human life, we wind up drawing stupid semantic lines in the sand. First trimester, abortion, versus second trimester, versus late term. She says this is a matter of, quote, dancing around the issue, trying to decide if there's a single magic moment when a fetus becomes a person. Are you human only when you're born, she says? Only when you're viable outside of the womb? Are you less of a human life when you look like a tadpole than when you can suck your thumb? The implication she's giving, making here is, of course, you know, you're still human at both of those stages of your life. She's not disputing that. She's not even questioning whether you're a person at both stages of your life. She's not disputing the point that you're a person within the womb as much as you are when you're outside of the womb. And this is the, this is the problem. This is the issue we're getting at here because she's telling the truth. The truth about how they really think, but so many of them are afraid to acknowledge it because it is so monstrous. She's not afraid. She's not afraid to speak the monstrous thing, to think the monstrous thing, even to be the monstrous thing. She's not afraid of that. She actually goes so far to say is that she knows that the child in the womb is a person, and yet if she had a child within her today, she would feel perfectly free to abort the child. She says if by some random fluke I learned today I was pregnant, you bet, and then she uses again this vulgarity, you bet I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion, capitalized, world's greatest abortion. My belief that life begins at conception is mine to cling to. And if you believe that it begins at birth or somewhere around the second trimester or when the kid finally goes to college, that's a conversation we can have. One that I hope would be respectful and empathetic and fearless. We can't have it if those of us who believe that human life exists in utero are afraid we're somehow going to flub it for the cause. In an op-ed on why I'm pro-choice in the Michigan Daily this week, remember this was January 2013, Emma Manieri stated quite perfectly that some argue that abortion takes lives, but I know that abortion saves lives too. And uh, Mary Elizabeth Williams says she understands that it saves lives not just in the most medically literal way, 
but in the roads that women who have choice then get to go down. In the possibilities for them and for their families. In other words, she says, it saves lives, abortion saves lives, and freeing these women up to live their lives the way they want, essentially, what she's saying there. So that has saved the woman's life in her mind. She closes with this telling sentence, and I would put the life of a mother over the life of a fetus every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing, she says. So here, here we have the words of what is a moral monstrosity, okay? In other words, it's possible to kill, to put to death. It's perfectly permissible to, to distinguish between life and life and uh, to value the life of one over the other. And because the other is inconvenient for the life of the one, the one has a right to kill the other. This is, uh, is what it is. You know, if you don't understand it, there's nothing that anyone can say to help you. It's just, unfortunately, the words and the thoughts, the words coming out of her mouth and the thoughts that are expressed in her mind, okay? And in her heart, and a very, very sad situation indeed. The chemotherapy drugs that they may give her to save her life from the cancer uh, would also be death-dealing to her child, but she's unwilling to admit it's her child. She's willing to love the child she wanted. She's willing to love the child that she gave birth to, and she's willing to destroy the child that found, she found inconvenient. And actually, uh, a bit of, uh, as shall we say, uh, an obstacle to her living the life that she wants to live. This is the mentality we're dealing with. The Democrats all see it that way, you can be sure of it, whether they're willing to admit it or not, she has finally told the truth. And I'd recommend you go and read that Salon article yourself. I gave you the information you needed to see it. And actually go to the website of Mary Elizabeth Williams and take a look and see what kind of people we have. Very normal, in fact, the very type of people you might be very sympathetic with in daily life, and yet this is the kind of mentality we have. This is what we are having to uh, oppose might and main to protect the lives of the children. Now, I want to address some of the arguments that the, that the pro-choicers like to use. She does not accept their arguments. She talks well, we might say that, interpret that she talks about the argument that the woman has a right over her own body. Well, Mary Elizabeth Williams makes it very clear she does not see the fetus as the woman's body. She sees it as a separate human being, a separate person, a separate life. And she's right about that. She's honest about that. Not only is this true from a moral point of view, a theological point of view, our faith teaches us that this is in fact a separate, unique human being with a soul created by Almighty God Himself. That is a unique person 
created in the image and likeness of God. This is what our faith tells us. But science today has confirmed this truth, that not only is the child once conceived in the womb, not only is that child a human life, identifiably human from all other kinds of life, but that child is an identifiably individual person, not only a, the human species, but a unique person of that species. All of our forensics is built around that whole idea that you can actually identify a, a unique individual person, even to the point of finding him guilty of a crime from the basis of that unique DNA in each and every cell. Now that couldn't be a, a stronger statement about the uniqueness of the child and that it is not only human, but it is a unique human being that we're dealing with here for each one of these children conceived. And um, they, they try to tell us that abortion is a health care argument. Well, again, you know, I guess this woman, uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Williams, would probably agree with that. She says it's health, abortion is, is life-saving. So when they talk about expanding the, the legality of abortion until birth for health reasons, again, everyone knows that they drive a convoy of, of trucks through that, that interpretation, through that, that verbiage there. Health can mean anything or nothing at all. Okay? And, uh, but she interprets that to mean that the woman can get on with her life without having to take care of this child. And she considers that to be life-saving. You see how she interprets it that way, and you see why stating it that way in the bill, any bill, that, uh, that the health considerations of a mother make it okay to kill a child even as it's being born, if necessary. The woman has the right to do that, to make that decision in consultation with her physicians. But the physicians, of course, are not going to argue with her, because ultimately these physicians are more than favorable. And it's the first thing they'd recommend if they saw a problem with the pregnancy. Now, it's important for us to understand, again, that abortion is not health care. This is an absolute twist of words. It, it, it is a, a, uh, a George Orwellian, it is an Orwellian misuse of language, straight out of 1984, even out of Animal Farm. It is a twist of the language to, to abuse the idea of health to make it apply to abortion. It is cruel, it is vicious, it is murder, is what it is. It is not a matter of health for anyone. And uh, we even have testimony before legislators, state legislators, of those who have been OBGYNs testifying that it is never necessary to perform an abortion to save the life or health of a mother in the third trimester of pregnancy. And so uh, you, you have the medical side, you have the, the scientific side, and the Democrats and their pro-abortionists ignore that entirely because they think really like Mary, Lou, Mary Elizabeth Williams thinks, they're just not willing to admit it. Not, not to us, to each other, there's no question. They know exactly what they mean, all of them. One, one of the questions that comes up here on the moral side, though, is what to do with these politicians 
who actually passed these evil laws authorizing the murder of children. Uh, for example, Andrew Cuomo, what is to be done in his case? What does one address to this Cardinal Dolan, who is supposedly responsible for Andrew Cuomo, who is a member of his church there in New York? Well, of course, there's a great deal of pressure for Cardinal Dolan to excommunicate Andrew Cuomo from the Novus Ordo Church. Um, there's a great deal of frustration with Cardinal Dolan that he will not do so, that he's making all manner of excuses. He's giving a practical a land laundry list of excuses why he can't, he won't, it would be imprudent, it would be counterproductive, etc., to excommunicate Andrew Cuomo for leading this charge for the nine-month gestational uh, target on the back of every child in, in New York, uh, subject to abortion. Now, it is even in the new code of canon law, even in the modern code of canon law, it says that one who performs an abortion, one who procures an abortion and so on, they are automatically excommunicated, and that is subject to the local bishop, okay? So, here we have people who are actually passing these laws, uh, uh, passing these bills into law, giving them the force of law, which means they will be enforced by, well, literally, by force, um, by executive power, uh, to protect those who would kill these children and to protect them against those who would try to save them. So this is not just a matter of procuring an abortion. This is a matter of a legislature, including many Novus Ordo Catholics, voting in favor of it and empowering them to kill these children. And they say they cannot excommunicate them from their Novus Ordo Church. One of the reasons which uh, Cardinal Dolan repeats over and over again is that Andrew Cuomo has no respect for the authority of the Church, and so it would lionize him, it would make him a hero, and he would make a mockery uh, of the church's authority and, con and, and show contempt for it. And, of course, we know really why this is so. We know that Cardinal Dolan is right about that. We know that he's right that M Andrew Cuomo would, would make a mockery of any attempt to excommunicate him and that he would despise any pretense of authority that would excommunicate him. And he can get away with it. Why? Because of what Cardinal Dolan and his friends have done the modernists in the Novus Ordo, especially the New Order hierarchy, they have made a mockery of the Church's authority for all these years. They have adulterated it, they have undermined it, and one thing that is not mentioned, that I've not seen mentioned in any of these interviews with Cardinal Dolan, or commentaries on what Cardinal Dolan has said in his interviews, is that he knows very well that he could stand up and thunder and issue an excommunication against Andrew Cuomo and all of the New York State legislators who voted for that bill, who are Novus Ordo Catholic. And he knows it wouldn't make a bit of difference because he knows he's got priests, Novus Ordo priests in his archdiocese who would continue to go right ahead and give them communion anyway and would defy him. And this is exactly what these Novus Ordo bishops and so-called cardinals have done. They have completely destroyed the the very structure of authority within the Church by introducing the Novus Ordo concept of the Church, the Novus Ordo concept of the clergy, the Novus Ordo concept of the papacy. So there is, 
The only ones who respect that authority anymore are the conservatives within the group. They still have some respect for authority, and unfortunately, the modernists like Cardinal Dolan are using their respect for authority against them to further modernize the church and further destroy the authority. And that is why one has to leave that Novus Ordo entirely to get out of there. Um, the, unfortunately, we, we see people staying there, their faith is being changed. Their very understanding of what the church is, their understanding of what the papacy is, is being destroyed within the Novus Ordo. And so it, it's very difficult to even refer to them as Novus Ordo Catholics. It's almost like they're Novus Ordo Catholics, that they are, they are stuck on this even though they, they see what's going on here, and they see uh, how it is destroying the very fabric of the church before their very eyes, and yet they're a party to this. They're part and parcel with all of this effort. And Cardinal Dolan, they may disagree with him, but he represents them, and he represents the church to them, and that's and if he doesn't, then it just goes to show the damage that he has done in their minds to the hierarchy, what the Catholic hierarchy should be to a Catholic, to every Catholic. So, um, yes, Cardinal Dolan, Andrew Cuomo will despise and does despise the authority of the Church and your authority because you yourself despise the authority of the Church as a Novus Ordo modernist. And this is what you've taught the Catholic people to do. So I understand very well why you will not excommunicate him. What is there to excommunicate him from? What about all the others? What about Pelosi? What about Ted Kennedy back when? You didn't do anything about that either. No one did. So why start now? I think it's a question that every Nova Soto person has to ask. Why am I going along with this charade? In any case, uh, if Cardinal Dolan is a toothless lion or perhaps a, a, a tuskless elephant, then it is his own doing. And um, by the way, there are those who are suggesting that Cardinal Dolan actually made a bargain with Andrew Cuomo and the state legislator of New York. And they're suggesting this. They're trying to explain why he will not excommunicate Andrew Cuomo. They're saying that, well, about the same time, that the state legislator of New York passed this bill authorizing the murder of children up to the day, moment of birth, the state legislator also extended the, uh, the time period where someone who was abused, a person who was abused by an adult, uh, read here, Novus Ordo priest, Novus Ordo cleric, Novus Ordo a bishop, someone who was abused, could actually file suit against him and press charges against him. Yes, the state legislator is so concerned about children <coughs> that it's now expanding the amount of time. The statute of limitations will not run out now when it used to, giving them more time to press charges against clergymen who abuse them. Now, you might say, well, this is not in Cardinal Dolan's best interest, so why would he want that? Well, what was also included in that bill is that it also applies to teachers in the public school system. And uh, supposedly, now, this is one interpretation of what Cardinal Dolan is thinking. Well, now I've gotten that in there, that it says this applies also to teachers in the public school system, so now it's going to be coming out more and more about all the terrible things teachers in the public school 
system have been doing to the children. And so that will draw some of the heat off the Catholic clergy now, because people will see the other side of the coin here. I don't know. Someone's suggesting that. The very fact that someone is suggesting that this isn't thinking of Cardinal Dolan tells you the estimation they have of this man. It is not complimentary. Now, with regard to Catholic teaching, as I say, the Catholic teaching is that the child conceived in the womb, the child conceived in the body of his mother, and then is going to be implanted, can plant for life in the womb of his mother to live and grow. That child, from the moment of his conception, is a unique human being, body and soul, with the rights of a person. It doesn't matter how small that person is, how small or insignificant it may be in the eyes of the people around it, or even the mother who bears that child. The fact is, it is a child, and that is a human being there with rights. And the law should recognize that fact and protect that, actually. Um, once you lose that, then life, the, the humanity of a person, is something that is on a scale, as Mary Lou Williams would have you, Mary Elizabeth Williams would have you think, as the value of that life on a scale. And now you can start justifying also euthanasia as a child as a person begins to lose the the ability to think straight the ability to think correctly the ability to relate to the outside world as a person descends into the terrible diseases of dementia and alzheimer's and and so on now that life becomes less human this is the existentialist idea this is not the catholic idea the Catholic idea is predicated on the belief in the human soul created in the image and likeness of God that is there. Even when the body fails, the soul remains from the moment of conception till the moment of death when the soul begins to leave the body. The soul is there and that human life is inviolable and has human rights unless it has deliberately violated those rights by committing some horrendous crime. But no one can destroy the life of an innocent human being without committing murder. No one can directly put to death an innocent human being without being guilty of murder. The existentialists, on the other hand, believe that you create your humanity by using your will. That we, human beings, create our own humanity by asserting our wills. See, the children in the womb cannot do that. Therefore, they cannot be considered human. In fact, uh, there are those in the world today, I think Peter Singer is one of them, who says that the child cannot actually assert its will until maybe the age of two, and so it doesn't really become human until it can assert its will, and therefore it can be destroyed. It hasn't created its own humanity yet until it can knowingly, consciously assert its will. The assertion of the will, again, this goes back to the idea of Nietzsche and his Superman, the fundamental ideas of Hitler and his Nazi regime uh, and the, the horrors of that, all of these things are tied together that are pro-death and uh, that are not what John Paul II called the culture of death because that's not a culture, they are the cult of death, let's be honest. What we're dealing here is not a culture, we're dealing with a cult of death and we shouldn't be surprised to find that the occult is very much at the root of this, of this problem. Every time we look into it more deeply, 
we find the occult beliefs of the Satanists and the witches and so on, they're all allied with this pro-abortion effort now. Now, let me wrap up here, okay? We have to begin to realize that as normal as these people look, as normal as Andrew Cuomo may, may appear, as, as normal as, as the governor of Virginia may appear, Ralph North, Northam, that we are dealing with the minds of Jeffrey Dahmer wearing suit coats and ties. We are actually dealing with the mentality of Jeffrey Dahmer here. Jeffrey Dahmer, as you know, is the mass, mass murderer, okay? And I'm telling you that these people think like he, like he did. And um, I think if we had to sit down and have a discussion about this, we could show the parallels between their thinking and the motivations of Jeffrey Dahmer and find very little, actually no substantial difference between the two things. In any case, I, I believe we are dealing with a psychopathic and sociopathic mentality that is endemic in the pro-abortion, in the pro-abortion uh, lobby, if you want to. The pro-abortion forces all share this idea. Sad to say. So we have to, we have to realize that the pro-abortion forces actually are resorting to more and more violence. And why would they not do so? What would stop them? If they can murder what they really know is a baby, a human baby in the womb, where will they stop? I mean, who is safe from them? It kind of reminds me of this, uh, this uh, Robert Mueller, the special investigator. He's the most dangerous man in the United States of America, except for an abortionist. He is the most dangerous man in this country, empowered to summon the powers of SWAT teams and, and attack helicopters and gunboats to arrest, for example, uh, Roger Stein, a 68-year-old political advisor. Uh, in other words, this, this man adopts the tactics because he can of the Dobermans straight out of George Orwell's animal farm to terrorize people. And again, there are those who see this as being pathological. But it, it is across the board in their mentality. Um, all of those who support the, the Democratic uh, Party platform on prosecutions of political figures and, um, and abortions of the, tiny, the child in the womb do, uh, find no problem resulting to, to, uh, resorting to violence. Why should they? The, viol the ultimate violence is going on in the womb right now. What they're doing to the children in the womb is unspeakably cruel. And if they could bring themselves to justify that in their own minds, then there's no one who is really safe from them. No one at any age. Now, uh, one thing that is of interest here, and I'm going to close with this here, and that is we're told that the states are now moving rapidly under the influence of Planned Parenthood and the Democratic Party machinery to propose bills with the widest possible latitude for abortion, all of them without restrictions, right up to the, the moment of birth. Why are they concentrating on this right now? And we are told that they want to put in place the state laws so that if 
if President Donald Trump succeeds in turning the Supreme Court of the United States pro-life such that they strike down Roe versus Wade, that the states will have their laws in place and the Supreme Court decision will have no effect in those states where they have their own state laws. You know what's ironic about this? The states all had these laws back in the 1970s, before 1973's Roe versus Wade decision. The states all had laws prohibiting abortion or severely restricting it. And the, the liberals, the leftists, the so-called progressives, did everything they could to obtain a Supreme Court that would vote, as they did in, in Roe versus Wade, seven to three, seven, striking down all those state anti-abortion laws, striking them all down, overriding them all, so that now abortion was legalized throughout the United States of America, and no state dare contradict that. This was their plan back then. It worked brilliantly for them because they succeeded in, in asserting the idea that when the Supreme Court of the United States makes a decision like this, it overrides all state laws. Here they are now, after all this time, 1973 to 2019. Now they're looking to enact state laws so that when the Supreme Court acts, a Supreme Court influenced by Donald Trump's appointments, that the Supreme Court cannot touch those state laws. The state laws are inviolable. Now, suddenly, the Democrats are all states' rights. This shows the blatant, brazen hypocrisy of these people, that they will get whatever they want any way they can. They will stop at nothing. They will say one thing one day, and they will directly contradict each other. They will flagrantly con contradict themselves from one day to the next without batting an eye, without a blush, without a hint of any shame at all, at all, because they don't believe in truth. Truth for them is what it is for a communist, whatever serves the purpose at the time. And so this is what they've got, what we've got, we're dealing with here. We're dealing with liars, we're dealing with hypocrites. They're professionals. They built their careers on this. They get their votes from this. This is what has put them in power, and they will use those same lies and those same, uh, that same mendacity to hold on, hold their grip on power at any cost, even if they have to buy votes with the lives of children. This is what uh, baby murderers do, naturally. And not only do they justify these things, they boast of these things because they are the key to their success. They're very proud of their achievements. They're very proud of their lies. They're very proud of the evil that they've done. And I think this takes us finally to a statement by, um, by Archbishop Sheen, actually. Uh, Bishop Sheen proposed the question once, what is the difference between an evil person and simply a, a merely bad person? He says a bad person will do evil things in order to achieve his ends. He doesn't do the evil things for the sake of doing them, because he draws satisfaction from the evil, but because they are a means to an end. He may even repent of them, regret them, and ultimately seek to be absolved of them and try to correct them. But an evil person does the evil things because he actually rejoices in the destruction of innocence. And here we have, in the murder of these children, 
the murder of the innocents, and they boast of it to their, to their proud, arrogant shame. As St. Paul said, they glory in their shame. Well, this is the generation we are facing right now. If we're going to be faithful to our Lord, we have to be willing to brave the blast of coming from those mulls. We have to be able to, to brave the, 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 the blast from the blast furnace of their mouths. And we have to be able to work forward and move forward and refuse to allow ourselves to be intimidated by this evil. We need to be, perhaps like the apostles in the boat today, the waves were washing over the boat, an open boat. It's amazing the boat was even still afloat, but there was our Lord sleeping in the boat. Another amazing thing. The apostles had a little faith, as our Lord said, little enough to go to him and say, Lord, save us, we perish. At least they had the, that much confidence that he could do something to save them. But even they were amazed when he stood up and he commanded the wind and the waves and they became still and there was a great calm. We have to have that confidence in our Lord. He still is the Son of God made man. And he has the power to command the winds and the waves and the galaxies themselves. And yes, even the enemies of God who cannot withstand him. We are told in the book of the Apocalypse, some call it the book of Revelation for some reason, we are told in the book of the Apocalypse that when the Antichrist reigns, he will seem to be invincible. But when our Lord comes, he will simply blow him away with the breath of his mouth, as you would blow, let's say, the, the things off a dandelion, or blow away a little puff of smoke. And our Lord will show that the Antichrist, for all of his, all of his blandishments, was nothing, powerless before God. So we have to have that confidence that our Lord has that power, and we have to cry out to him day and night for mercy. Mercy for who? For ourselves? Yes. For our own sins, our own sinfulness, which has helped bring on this catastrophe. For our children, yes, we have to pray for them. For the children of those who would abort them, yes, we have to pray for them. For the mothers who would abort those children, yes, we must pray for them. For those who would give the mothers the right to kill their children, yes, we must pray for them all. We must ask God, who wants not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. We must ask God to give life to all of them. May God bless you.